so Renee, I have to admit, I haven't really been paying super close attention to um, all these ballots that uh, I'm sorry, all these efforts that Donald Trump has been making to keep himself on the Michigan ballot, because I really didn't think that him being booted off the ballot was was very realistic. However, Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson is responding um, to this lawsuit. So I think there's at least some legitimacy to it. Yeah, uh, former President Trump filed a lawsuit Monday seeking to bar Michigan's top elections official from booting his name off the state's ballot for the 2024 presidential elections. The suit asks the court to affirm that Michigan Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson lacks the authority to assess his qualifications, including regarding the 14th Amendment argument at the center of the lawsuits playing out in other states this week that question his eligibility. Trump's attorneys also requested the court grant an injunction preventing Benson from refusing to put him on the ballot. A section of the 14th Amendment states that no No one should hold office in the U.S. if they have engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the U.S. or given aid or comfort to the enemies thereof. Uh, It should be noted, Benson affirmed in a Washington Post op-ed last month that she will not try to keep Trump's name off the ballot. Benson said whether Trump is eligible to run for president again is a decision not for secretaries of state but for the courts. However, the lawsuit states that Benson's failure to respond to a letter from Trump's campaign is creating uncertainty, which impacts how President Trump will allocate resources. Yeah, this 14th Amendment, it was put in place during the Civil War and there's activists asking a judge, uh, the activists that are asking the judge to keep Trump off the ballot, they're uh, citing January 6th and the other impending indictments against him. And that's exactly right about Jocelyn Benson. She says she has no interest in um, getting involved in this. She says it's up to the voters, it's up to the courts, but she can't comment on pending... Uh, led, uh, not legislation, litigation. There we go. Got my vac- vocabulary words mixed up this Your morning. Your government words. That's right. I need to watch some schoolhouse rock and brush up. <laughs> I'm just a boom. <laughs> <laughs> Should sing the whole thing. Um, she was on JR Afternoon with Chris Renwick yesterday, and it, it kind of sounds like she's reiterating her opinion of uh, this, probably is not, this is not going to happen, and I don't want to be involved. It shouldn't be up to one politician to make a decision as as critical as this with as many unknowns and factual determinations and legal uncertainties. That's really the job of the courts. They are designed to weigh facts, look at precedent, uh, consider all the legal interpretations. That's their role, and the legal process is set up to – ensure the best adjudication of, of questions like these. So, yeah, he, he's going to be on the ballot. Yeah. Um, we're getting more details about the arrest warrant for the 40-year-old man who killed 18 people in a shooting spree in Maine. And these details may shed a little bit more light on his motive, as if it matters at this point. But uh, family members of the shooter said that he went off the deep end after a breakup with a woman he met at a cornhole tournament at the bar where he carried out his massacre. And that night, that bar was having a cornhole tournament. I don't think that was an accident or a coincidence. No, no. It's just so troubling. These details are so 
and they, upsetting. I, as I was reading through this, my heart was breaking even more for these people. Yeah, and it gets weirder. Uh, family members also say that the man started wearing hearing aids and claiming that he heard voices that were being picked up by the hearing aids. Yeah. Started saying crazy things like there was a conspiracy against him and that people were accusing him of being a pedophile mm-hmm. and that the bowling alley, the other location of his shooting, was broadcasting those accusations along with a market and a nightclub. Police attempted to make contact with the shooter twice before his rampage. There was a lookout alert issued on him. Obviously, we heard that the Army Reserves sent him away to an inpatient mental health facility because he was acting erratically. But police never made contact, and the alert was canceled October 18th, a week before the shooting. And you got to wonder if the bowling alley... And the restaurant, the bar and grill, were not his only targets that night. Yeah. Because the market and the nightclub, I don't know uh, what made him uh, what made him stop after two locations, but thank God he did. Yeah, and records released earlier this week by the sheriff's office detailed repeated warnings about uh, his deteriorating mental condition and firsthand account of him threatening to commit a mass shooting. And evidence experts say that that could have been used to temporarily seize his firearms following a mental health evaluation right. under like a red yellow flag. flag. Law. Yeah, it's oh, called okay. the yellow they flag call it yellow law. Flag, yeah. So he, those firearms could have been taken away from him. Right. And maybe the outcome could have been different. And just like the Guidepost Solutions report from Oxford High School, it, it, there were so many warning signs. But I think what happens is people think, well, that's not going to happen here. Right. You know, we can't we we can't just we can't just take someone's gun away because Yes, you that, can. Right, yes, right. you can. Especially if there are very specific laws that say when and when you cannot. Yes. Um a 58-year-old Maryland man has died 6 weeks after being the second person to ever receive a pig's heart as a transplant. Uh a, a fellow by the name of Lawrence Fossett He was actually dying from heart failure, and a whole bunch of other health conditions made him ineligible for an actual uh, human heart transplant. So he underwent the highly experimental surgery in late September. It was some kind of genetically modified pig's heart. Um, It seemed healthy, and everything was going well for about a month. But the heart started showing signs of rejection in recent days, and he died on Monday. Now, he was the second person. The first person received a pig heart transplant and lasted two months. A post-mortem investigation showed that that heart, though, had signs of pig virus. And, I mean, I guess it's worth a shot if, if you know you're going to die anyway. Yeah, you know, they, they interviewed his wife, and she said he knew that there was a good chance that this wasn't going to last long, and you take that chance. But he was doing this more or less to... Uh, be a medical experiment, right? And and like you said, you know, hey, what else? What do you got to lose? And I see both of these men as heroes because if you don't have people like this, yep, how does modern medicine progress? That was exactly my next point. Uh, these guys are heroes in a way because eventually this procedure is going to become routine, right? Essentially, I, I mean, a bypass—it's never not a big deal, but the vast majority of people survive it, right? And Eventually, this procedure is going to save a little lot, uh, a lot of lives, mm-hmm. and that can't be possible without people like uh, Lawrence Fossett and the first person to get uh, a, a pig's heart being willing to take that risk. Right. These guys are going to be in the medical textbooks. And who knows? I, I mean, maybe this pig heart 
bought him a couple more a couple more weeks with his family. Yeah. Maybe he would have died five five weeks ago. Yeah. And so it, it gave him a uh, it might have given him a good couple more weeks with his family, which I think anyone who's lost a loved one they would take that. That's precious time. Yeah, as wife said, he knew his time with us was short, and this was his last chance to do for others. I love that. Yeah. So. Rest in peace, and and, and, and you, thank you. You took the words right out of my mouth. I mean, they 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 are heroes in a way because, like I said, they've got nothing to lose, but they still are putting their lives at risk right. for medical science. Uh, AMC is trying to find new ways to lure people back to their um, theaters. This is so adventurous. Or <laughs> wow, I'm sold. Or at least keep people coming to the theaters and, and, uh, until, you know, new movies are in the pipeline. What a crazy little wild date night. They're offering movie tickets for fans <laughs> at a cheaper price. Uh, but only if they don't mind being surprised. The movie chain announced its new Scene Unseen program. Oh, I'm sorry, Screen Unseen program. Ah. Uh, it offers tickets for just $5 plus tax. However, oh. the movie what's remains... The, what's the catch? The catch is uh, the movie remains a mystery until it starts. Mm. AMC said that it'll share the film's rating ahead of time so fans can know whether to bring ah, their children or right. not so you're not bringing your kids to a thrasher. Uh, the film... Good the, news, kids. It's a rerun of Showgirls. <laughs> The first film in the Screen Unseen program will be shown November 6th, and the rating is PG-13. I mean... I'd do it. Sometimes I just feel like going to the movies. Sometimes I just want to walk into the lobby and have that smell of popcorn yeah, hit you. Yeah, experience. It's not even so much about the movie itself. Now, what if you go and it's Taylor Swift? Are you cool with that? Uh, me, personally, yes. However, I do not see AMC showing movies that people are still paying to see with this top dollar right it, it, it'd probably be like paw patrol or something <laughs> which is great if you have kids right right yeah but i guess you see the pg that might tip you off but, right right yeah i mean that'd be that'd be great if it was like uh you know like oppenheimer or barbie at its like peak yeah but it's probably just gonna end up being like the blue beetle or something you know <laughs> even know what that is yeah right exactly exactly <laughs> so yeah i i would do this because sometimes i just feel like going to the movies yeah uh but uh it, it is a gamble it it, it 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 kind of is like legalized gambling except yeah. instead of getting your money back uh you're just gonna watch it's a movie five bucks whatever and real uh quick we're up against it but biden has unveiled a new student loan strategy and i am uh I am all ears on that. Yeah, so the administration released a new narrower proposal for student loan relief. This proposal would offer debt relief to some borrowers, like those who have been paying their loans for 25 years or more or attended career training programs that led to unreasonable debt loads. It doesn't detail how many people could benefit. The revamped approach comes after the Supreme Court tossed out the administration's plan to cancel up to $20,000 in federal student loans for about $40 million people however the new proposal could take months to finalize and it isn't safe from court here uh, court challenges yeah and, and here's here's my thing when it comes to all these student loan proposals i kind of just let it go in one ear and out the other until something is actually put into place until you get an email or a letter that says you're free right yeah exactly keep and, hanging on buddy and, and here's a little tip for people who are paying their student loans there's the due date and then there's the date where you start incurring penalties. 
That's the real due date. That's the real deal? The first one is just the suggested due date. (laughs) It's kind of like the speed limit. There's a speed limit and the suggested speed limit. Right. For more financial advice, do not listen to me. It's first thing, Mike Parsons, Renee Vitale, WJR. Well, Renee, when Guidepost Solutions released that 570-odd-page report on the Oxford High School shooting, um, we knew that we'd be hearing about it for a long time. Yeah. Uh, yeah and uh, yesterday, uh, former Oxford Community Schools Treasurer Corey Bailey, he resigned along with Board President Tim Donnelly after the two of them came forward to allege that uh, the school district failed to put threat assessment policies into place following the shooting at the high school. They held a press conference yesterday. It looked like it was at their lawyer's office. Yeah, their lawyer was by their side. Yeah, which which is smart mm-hmm. um, because um, they said that there's a lot that um, they are not allowed to talk about, but they both said that the Guidepost Solutions report was spot on, which, which is good because when you hear that the school district hired the firm that's investigating them, um, it kind of it, it kind of puts your your radar up. It it kind of makes you look at it with a grain of skepticism. But according to these two guys, um, who who left the Oxford School Board soon after the shooting, um, who would um, you know you know it's it, it doesn't behoove them to lie about um, the report. They both said it was spot on. So they said everything you need to know is in that five hundred and seventy two page report. And to know that they feel that, yeah, that it was spot on. I I don't know. Is that is that a good thing? I mean, it, it, it doesn't change anything. No, but I think what it does is it does lend credibility to yeah. the report itself. Sure, especially with the fact that Attorney General Dana Nessel offered many times to for the state to do their own independent report. They said no. Uh, the school district said no. The school district uh, hired their own firm, mm-hmm. which I think raises people's skepticism sure. radar um and, and and these two gentlemen former um school board members uh who quit out of frustration with the school district if they say it's legit it, it makes me believe it's legit uh they echoed that uh the report by saying that the shooting could be avoid could have been avoided and um that both of them could not take oxford's stonewalling and lack of accountability anymore wow. Uh, Bailey is calling for threat assessment policies to be mandated and funded by the federal government. Um, and, and look, I'm not really super familiar with these guys. It sounds like, according to what they said, they they kind of looked into how some of how something like this shooting could have happened. And when they tried to raise concern to the district, they didn't want to hear it. Um, the word I'm stuck on is stonewalling. Sounds a lot like the stonewalling of Guidepost Solutions when they tried to talk to over 100 witnesses. I, I think it was up to 150 witnesses, and only about a third of them actually spoke. Right, and, and it sounds like most of them, uh, you know, it was at the advice of their attorneys not to. Right, and I and I understand that the attorneys that the school district hired, their job is to protect their clients, but... You know, Justin Schilling's dad, one of the teenagers who lost his life that day, um, he he was being interviewed on Local 4, and he said that, um, you know, the fact that only a handful of school employees talked to Guidepost and the, and, and the rest stayed quiet, you know, it, it really made it look like they weren't looking out for their neighbors. They really no. made it, didn't, didn't make it look like they were trying to help heal the community or get to the bottom of what happened. It looked like they were just trying to save their own hide. 
And he's absolutely right. That's and, exactly what it was. Yeah. And then uh, I, it was heartbreaking because, uh, you know, he's talking about how they used to love this time of year because it's the holidays, and now they hate it because, obviously, um, their son's not there anymore. The shooting happened late Around November. the holidays. Right. So just, yeah, it, just you know, just, just, just absolutely devastating um, um, conversation with him. But he was absolutely right about um, how this appears. And, and yesterday, Renee, you and I were talking about um, – the Oakland County Prosecution Office um, saying that the Crumbleys, the parents might be turning on each other. And we were wondering, it, it, do they have the same lawyer? Do they have separate lawyers? And a, uh, a college friend of mine who's a lawyer, actually, and I'm not going to I'm not going to put his name out there in case I completely butcher this. I don't want anyone looking bad. Uh, but he actually answered that question for us. He said, when there are co-defendants like the Crumbly parents, there will always be separate attorneys there. Um, there could be a conflict of interest if you represent both of them and one wants to testify against the other. Which and, is exactly, it sounds like, is happening here. Yeah, or at least the Oakland County Prosecutor's Office is trying to put that bug into their ear and, and maybe turn them against each other as part of a strategy. We'll see. Um, so the uh, Israel carried out a air attack on a refugee camp for the second straight day yesterday. Yeah, Israeli airstrikes hit apartment buildings in a Gazi refugee camp for the second day in a row Wednesday as the territory's only functioning border post opened to allow foreign passport holders to leave for the first time since war broke out over three weeks ago. The Hamas-run government said that the strikes killed and wounded many people, but the exact toll was not yet known. Al Jazeera footage showed early identical scenes as the day before, with dozens of men digging through gray rubble of demolished multi-story buildings in search of survivors. The toll from Tuesday's strikes was also unknown, though the director of a nearby hospital said that hundreds were killed or wounded. Uh, the Palestinian crossing authority said more than 400 passport holders would be permitted to leave for Egypt, uh, as would some wounded people. Yeah, and um, the latest number, and these this just came in a, a second ago, uh, 195 killed, 120 missing. And the UN is actually saying that um, these bombings on this refugee camp um, could possibly be war crimes. Yesterday, um, all talk talked to Rocky Ryszkowski, and Rocky said that uh, that might not be the whole story. The Hamas PR machine is putting out that this was a bombing of a refugee camp. And today, Israel showed the video, and as well as AP, Reuters, uh, NBC News, and other news outlets, BBC, showed video of of the people that were in there and the individuals that were extracted and injured. And they were all young males of, of soldier age or fighting age. Mm. They were, the children that they said were, were injured were between 17 and 18, and the adults were between 18 and 40 years of age, and they were all males. There was not a single female, there was not a single child that was injured or in that location. And I hope that's correct, that there weren't um, women and children injured at that refugee camp. Obviously, um, Hamas is saying that uh, there was mass civilian casualties. The U.N.'s looking into it as a war crime. Uh, but uh, Israel is saying that this looks like it was a Hamas stronghold. Mm -hmm. 
disguised as a refugee camp because, as Rocky said, it's a war of PR. Um, so I, I hope I hope that's true. Yeah. Um, I you know I I think all of us here when we hear that civilians are getting caught up in the in, in the in the crossfire, so to speak, it's absolutely heartbreaking. Uh, when you've got these two warring, warring factions going at each other and they got innocent people stuck in the middle. Great news about the Egypt-Gaza um, crossing, uh, the Rafah border is what it's called. I- I'm sure it's still a very long, slow, painful, frustrating process. However, you still got hundreds of people who've made it out to safety. You still got injured Palestinians who have nothing to do with Hamas getting out and getting care. And five of those were American aid workers. And so yep. that's five more Americans who have survived this. So hopefully um, as we speak, a good amount of Americans and, and more pedestrians are, are getting out and getting to safety. Uh, we are up against it here. Coming up, we're going to hear from Todd Flood, who was a member of Bill Schuette's Flint Water Crisis Team. Um, it brought charges against a number of people attorney general dana nessel came in started from scratch and concluded their investigation without a single conviction first thing mike parsons renee vitelli wjr all right and uh as always at this time of morning renee and i like to bring in guy lloyd and jamie from the morning show morning morning crew good morning morning um i know that this is not a visual medium and Lloyd, <laughs> Lloyd looks sharp every day. But today, I don't even know how to describe this this suit. I think Lloyd might have won the lottery. No, didn't, didn't win the lottery. Uh, I'm going to be doing a newscast at the Detroit Econ Club uh, this afternoon. So I'm not going to go home right. and come all the way back downtown. Right. So. I thought maybe you had a modeling gig as uh, no. a side hustle, yeah. some warehouse side no. hustle. Is the term gussied up too old fashioned? No. <laughs> yeah, it's perfect. Yes, it probably. Is. I like it. <laughs> gussied. <laughs> there you go. Jamie's spoken. She's the jury on that. We're, we're all trying to be nice. It's like, yeah. Yeah, you're right. All right. So, well, yesterday, I, no surprise, the Fed decided not to hike interest rates. However, there might be one in mid December. So get your Christmas shopping done early, I guess. Oh, Merry Christmas, everyone. Yeah. You know, I, but, but the way the market reacted, though, that's not the way they interpreted it. They didn't look at it as, as, as a negative that more are coming. They looked at it as he said, well, it could be, you know, it's a glass half empty or half full thing. And the market rallied because huh. they, they interpreted it. They looked at the gunk at the bottom of Powell's teacup and said, oh, he said that we may not get any more increases. So they were... Trying to be optimistic. Okay. Well, I, I would hope so, because I, I would think it would make more sense to uh, maybe give us a little bump this month and then maybe give us a little break mid-December. Yeah. Well, the rates are still high, historically mm-hmm. high, but they just didn't make them any higher. Right. We just kind of stand pat where we're at. So <laughs> so thanks for the break. Um, did, are you guys are you guys food app delivery users? Did DoorDash, I, Uber Eats? I'm, mm. I'm not a DoorDash Person, my, my kids are. Yeah, you know, but I'm I'm not a DoorDash person. You're looking at DoorDash. Yeah, that's right. yeah. That, there you I, go. I, I, I'm the I'm the fat. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. That's me. Yeah. You <laughs> buy, I fly. That's exactly. Yeah. Well, yeah, the other thing, what Gail's really into the Instacart thing. Um, I could see that being very seductive. Yes. Yeah. So I mean, we still cook at home, but we're having, you know. 
<laughs> They're delivering it uncooked. Yeah. Now, um, you know, I, I I drive for DoorDash, and maybe my my DoorDash uh, overlords might not like to hear this. I drive for DoorDash, but I never use it. I mean, I'm not going to pay the the uh, the exorbitant fees. I have a question for you. Yes. Do you not like Uber Eats? Because I usually use Uber Eats. You, you know, I tried to get on Uber Eats, but there's a wait list. Oh, really? so the door, door, DoorDash oh, wow. is the only uh, place that would take me, I guess. <laughs> so Aww. was it because that when you ordered from DoorDash, your DoorDash driver, Mike Parsons, delivered it too late and it was cold? <laughs> what, yeah. What, what, what was your rating? What's your rating? Every customer gets a first thing and JR Morning bumper sticker on their order. <laughs> but uh, I, I guess there's some controversy going around because uh, DoorDash... On the app itself, they put a message uh, that warns that low-tipped orders will take longer to get there. And um, But how do you know? Well, Don't you tip after? You That's t- what I said. So DoorDash is, is different. It, it's, not, it's not a tip like pizza delivery or like going to a restaurant. It's more of a, it's more of a bid process. So what happens is DoorDash drivers, they'll, they'll get an order, and it'll tell you how much money you're going to make off that order and then what the distance is. Oh, okay. And so when it comes to gas and wear and tear on your car, the the ratio is about a dollar per mile. If 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 you're tipping uh, and it's about a dollar per mile, you're going to get your food faster. But if it's uh if it's any less than that, we'll reject it because, you know, it's not worth, not it, worth right. it. Right, exactly. So it, think of it more as like bidding contractors. Yeah. Than um, then, then like tipping, tipping your pizza delivery guy. Well, it's nice to get the inside on right kind of things. So, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, you know. so now when you use DoorDash, Lloyd, uh-huh. you better tip. I better tip. Yeah. And, okay. uh, if yes. I want to get my food fast. That's right. If you want to get it fast. And, and sometimes you'll go to a, you'll go to a restaurant, you'll see a whole bunch of orders on the DoorDash oh, show. I've and you're like, you're like, oh, those are the people that don't want to tip. So. Oh, okay. That's an interesting way to look. Yeah, yeah. Because I do see that. Tip, it's nice to tip. Just tip it is. people. And so, if uh, you get a DoorDash driver named Mike and he's driving a black sedan, throw a few extra dollars on there. <laughs> Noted. And yeah. then, and then put that first thing bumper sticker on your car. Yeah, there that's you right. Go. Tell all your friends. <laughs> Share the podcast. All right. Uh, first, uh, first thing is over. Jr. Morning coming up. Uh, got a lot to get to this morning. I don't have my rundown, uh, but it'll be. It, there's no reason to turn your dial. We'll be right back. The Flint water crisis investigation came to an end this week with no convictions after the Supreme Court denied Attorney General Dana Nessel's appeal of the dismissal, dismissal of charges against former Governor Rick Snyder. Nessel threw out all charges in the case brought by the previous Attorney General Bill Schuette. Todd Flood was one of the point men on Schuette's Flint water crisis legal team, and he talks to Kevin on Tom, and Tom on All Talk. Attorney General Dana Nessel's office has decided to stop any attempt to criminally prosecute anyone related to the Flint water crisis after this seven-year pursuit that, well, yielded no convictions. And Dana Nessel didn't really have a choice, Kevin. She botched the investigation, and the Michigan Supreme Court basically rejected her attempt to do it all over again. Great job. Excellent. Uh, Just wonderful. Uh, The people of Flint, I feel... So deeply for them. I remember when this first happened. 
Uh, I watch these investigations. I watch people be charged, and then uh, uh, the charges uh, went away for, for more investigation. And, and you just had to wonder at that time. Uh, you, you wondered, w- would this happen if this was uh, Birmingham or Bloomfield Hills or Gross Point or Farmington Hills or Novi or so many other communities? Uh, did this happen to Flint uh, because of the poverty in the Flint area? Or did this happen strictly because of neglect? How can you go through this entire investigation, go through everything that happened to these people, and have this be your outcome? Joining us now is Todd Flood, attorney at Flood Law. Good morning. How are you? Great, guys. Good morning. I'm well. I, I feel I feel horrible about this. I feel horrible for the people of Flint. Where where are you at on this? You, you were a, a key player in this in the beginning. Well, I mean, words can't uh, capture how ugly and how unfortunate this is for the citizens of Flint, um, even to this day. Um, justice will never be served, not even mercy to any extent. Um, I, I was just reminded last night of Harvey Howland testifying, and I think, Kevin, you may have been there, but when he actually testified about the, the governor lying in front of Congress uh, as it related to his knowledge and time of the switch, um, We had charges, we had pleas. The Attorney General's office ultimately, um, you know, I'm an old school guy, but the victor goes to spoil. I was the spoil, I take it down the chin. They redid it. And um, from that standpoint, um, they used a one man grand jury. When we did it, we sat around with a team of really, really smart people. uh, and judges and the like uh, that were on our team, and we decided to do something uh, in public, that is to hold a preliminary exam. And we used uh, an old Marine adage of two is one and one is none. So every element for the crime that we had to show probable cause on, we did it twice. So um, making sure that it was, a, you know, we could get through any kind of appeal. Um, the grand jury for which they used, the one-man grand jury, was such that it, it can only be used for investigative purpose. There's a separation of powers. Um, that's what the Supreme Court said, and obviously uh, their interpretation of the one-man grand jury of separation of powers, a judge cannot come back with a charging decision. That has to be done by the prosecutor's office. You can have a citizen's grand jury, but again, that falls within line of the separation of powers. In this case, you know, um, that didn't happen. I will say, um, candidly, I know Fadwa Hamoud and Kim Worthy. I respect them immensely. I think they're two uh, top-notch people and law enforcement people. I'm not going to besmirch them. Um, we just had a different tact and a different way of going at it. Well, it seems like your way of going at it under Bill Schuette at the time, whatever people think of Bill Schuette, this case was moving forward. As you just described, after the work that you put in, and there's this one judge grand jury, that seems to be a massive legal miscalculation. If that had not been the case, and your work that you put in was not scrapped from this case, and Dana Nessel ended up starting all over again from scratch, would there have been some convictions in this case? I believe so. I think if you read the opinions from Judge Crawford, uh, if you listen to Judge Goggins when we bound over Eden Wells and Nick Lyon for involuntary manslaughter, um, the, the standard for which we had to show was that of just probable cause. But I think we established it, as they pointed out, proof beyond a reasonable doubt. 
Um, so I, I believe that ultimately, yes, convictions would have happened uh, in trial or plea. We already had several pleas. We already had several corrupt, uh, uh, cooperating witnesses uh, going forward. So I was confident in that. I, I was not, um, you know, uh, it was a team effort um, and we were not gonna charge cases that we didn't think we could win at trial. We, we only charged based on the belief, can we prove this case beyond a reasonable doubt? So one of the best prosecutors in the state of Michigan, David Layton for Genesee County, and David Layton was, um, everything had to go through him for, from me. Bill Schutte said, I want you to prove your case to David Layton before a charge was made. And the PowerPoints and the instructions and everything that we had prior to making a charge was all put through, you know, a check and balance. So I talked to your answer, long-winded way of saying yes, we, we had we had pleas and I believe we would have had convictions um, higher up the chain. And we weren't done. I mean, this this is a case um, that was far from over when it was taken over. Um, so that's that is what it is. If I throw out a number around a hundred million dollars, I think it would be low for what taxpayers paid for all of this. Uh, we have zero criminal convictions. Uh, what what is the message to public officials who want to take shortcuts moving forward when there's zero criminal convictions after a hundred million dollar plus investigation? What could be the message? Um, you know, politics should never get in the way of justice or a courtroom. Um, and, you know, I, uh, I just, you could see that from the start, we were doomed when there was a new administration and there would be a new call to the play. Um, I don't think that, and again, that's not a besmirch on, on Fogba or Kemp, but politics in a higher level. So um, that's sad, right? Because I, I lecture all the time. Don't ever, ever sidestep, um, you know, the work the, the X's and O's, the, the proper things to do for um, politics. Don't ever let that bleed into a courtroom. And that's the biggest thing. And you're, you're right. They say 60 million, Kevin, I, I can tell you right now, that's, that's not even close, right? Because if they don't even have last year's math uh, or um, amount added up yet, um, you know, it's just follow the money here for what Flint had to pay, $225 million in a bond for the KWA. Just follow that trail, if you will. And um, they should have never had to pay that bond. Uh, ultimately, at the end, they should have never been hooked onto the Flint water um, treatment plant. Um, they were forced to do that through this administrative consent order. But that $225 million is another um, lead ingot on the city of Flint for which taxpayers will be paying. So, I don't know, it's, it's uh, a visceral part of me uh, because, you know, I, I have a lot of friends, loved ones in Flint. I've, I've watched a lot of people go through some horrific experiences there and this um, touches my heart deep, uh, deeply. It does, it does everyone. And this was the biggest issue in the state uh, in the very beginning of these investigations uh, for many years it was. And now it's all for naught, it seems. Uh, and you mentioned politics. We won't get too much into that. I won't get too much more of your perspective because I know you're not a political person. You're a man of the law and whatnot. But I, it is sad to see the Attorney General, Dana Nessel, has made herself a political figure. 
uh, in various uh, statements that she has made, whether it be on social media or from a podium, that, in your view, generally speaking, that hurts the office of the attorney general. And uh, to hear Todd Flood's answer, you can uh, look up the interview at thegreatvoice.com. Uh, just look up All Talk with Tom Jordan and Kevin Dietz. It's first thing, Mike Parsons, Renee Vitale. We'll be right back after news. It's WJR.